Good afternoon, Callum. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice and uh, nice and chilled, ready to get stuck into this meaty podcast. <laughs> Episode ten of for today, um, and you had a question from a client. Didn't yeah, you? I thought this would be straight into it this week, aren't we? Yeah, no, straight in. None of this, how you doing nonsense, just bam, straight to business. Let's do it. That's it. That's what we've got to do. Keep it short and sweet. Yeah, one of the questions that have been asked within my client community is, my workouts aren't hard enough. Am I doing it right? And that can be spun in a couple of ways. Yeah. I'm like, no, it could be the workout's too easy, or I'm not sweating like I used to, or... I don't feel fatigued during the workout. So I think it'd be a nice way to address this over the podcast because I'm sure a number of other people will have these questions and have these um, queries with regards to their own workouts. Mm -hmm. And we can just kind of do a little bit of a deep dive into why it's not always necessary to sweat or why it's not always necessary to feel hugely fatigued after a session and the benefits and pros and cons, I guess, of Mm -hmm. both, really. Yeah. Yeah. my my client my question I'll I'll dive in with my response um, and then I'll uh, pick your brains if you want as well yeah and we can just spin off it in whatever directions it takes us yeah no I think that's good because because uh, there are a lot of ways you can go with this and there's yeah. as with all fitness and nutrition questions there's a bit of nuance into it as well um, and a lot of the favorite answer to every question of it depends. So, yeah. We'll try not to use that too much, but... Uh, but it depends. It really does. <laughs> so, um, my response, one of my response generally to these questions that I get asked about whether workouts, you know, should be harder, should be easier, especially when they're relatively new to the program, is trying to allow them to answer their own question if that makes sense Mm. so i will ask open open open-ended questions to see why it is they think that they should be sweating profusely or they should be heavily fatigued afterwards and generally what their answer is it comes from a history of that's what i've always done Mm -hmm to get what I think is the most effective and efficient workout for myself. Yeah. So you're, they're kind of basing on previous exercise. And again, I'll follow it up most likely with how did that work for you in the past? And <laughs> nine times out of 10, um, it hasn't. Yeah. Because they're, whilst they've been so used to sweating and so used to really pushing it 110%, that has only really lasted a few weeks before they've completely stopped due to this is too hard or I can't be arsed doing this anymore or whatever their reasoning is. Yeah. So whilst a lot of it, and I'm really struggling to say it, <laughs> it depends, um, but whilst it really does kind of depend on the individual's overall outcome Mm -hmm. to start off with anyway i think it's important to collect data from 
clients to find out what their minimum and maximum thresholds are and then base a program that is 70 to 80 percent of that where they feel that at times yes they're getting pushed but the majority of the time it is kind of in a position where they're mellow to getting pushed without being too relaxed if that makes sense yes it does it does entirely especially with new clients like I, I've, I've had that question several times like I'm not sweating I'm not sore after workouts I don't feel like I'm doing enough and it's finding that balance between enough stress to create the adaptation that you want and still be able to recover and do all the stuff that you want to do and be ready for the next training session and with a new client that you've got no training history with You've got no idea what that client's available uh, is is uh, capable of, mm-hmm. um, so it's very much about that um, gathering data, finding what works for them, how much stress they can handle. Because every client's different, you know. Every client's readiness to train is different, mm-hmm. and we can't know what that is without a bit of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah absolutely um and quite often it is that misconception isn't it of um well whenever i see an instagram video the person doing whatever they're doing is dripping sweat and they're grimacing and they're right on the point of failure and it's like yeah you see that snapshot on social media of that point in training because it looks kind of cool but 90 percent of their training isn't like that 90 percent of their training is training to two to three reps max of short of failure it's it's being able to recover and repeat the process day in and day out week in and week out for long enough to get to where they are um, and that misconception of the image of social media portrays and mm-hmm. the reality of what gets that person into that shape are two very very different things yeah i would even i would even argue the fact that it's not even 10 percent. i would even argue the fact that Anybody can act. Anybody can put a grimace on their face and get sprayed down with water to <laughs> make on on Instagram. You know. Yeah. So, look, I'm 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 kind of doing a bit of a disservice to these guys, but they're yeah, whatever whatever makes Instagram look more appealing to the to their fans and to their audience is kind of where they're where they go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think it's also it also potentially depends on as well you mentioned about training stimulus and I think training stimulus is something that is important to, to address because we will go through, or I'll, I'll go through, you know, uh, a workout potentially that I've given my client, for example, let's just go along with this. And I wouldn't, I would probably feel doms from it because it's changing up my current stimulus that I'm working yeah. on. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete, doesn't matter if you're an endurance athlete, doesn't matter if you're at the very beginning. If there's a change in stimulus, you're going to feel it a couple of days afterwards. You're not going to be heavily fatigued. You're not going to be probably sweating whilst you're going to be doing the workout, but you will feel slightly sore due to the change up in what you've currently doing or been used to doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um... 
I mean, I, I don't get sore very often, but when I do try new things, or if, if a new exercise drops into my program that I've not seen in, in six months, pain happens. Like it's it's almost inevitable. But the week after it's gone. Um but yeah, I mean, if you're giving a client a new program and you go straight in balls to the wall with a full-on session for that client, like chances of them going back into the gym the next week to do it again is, is pretty slim. So it's always better to kind of ramp these things up over a couple of weeks and then get all, all cylinders running and, and, and get them kind of flying that way. Um, but you would be having the same conversation with them with an extreme start or a mellow start because they'd be saying to you, this is too difficult. So then yeah. you'd have to have the same conversation as to why it's so hard yeah. or you'd have the same conversation as to why it's too easy because the first three, four weeks, we're just finding a base. And quite often with new clients, there's other stuff going on as well that you're trying to kind of, you know, you're ha- helping them with nutrition habits. You're talking about sleep. You're talking about maybe trying to get their knee up a little bit. If you're then thrown in a beast of a workout every session, it's a lot to take in. It, it takes up a lot of mental bandwidth, a lot of physical bandwidth, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else. It doesn't leave a lot of room for error or improvement. So, yeah, start and slow, build all the rest of it um, is, a, is a massive part of the process. Um, yeah. And, you know, on the other side of that, on a slightly slight tangent, like sweating a lot in a session doesn't really mean a lot either. Like, no, no. I, <laughs> when I trained down at uh, Fine Park, like their air conditioning system is, is needing some work. And on a hot day, you go in there, by the time you've done the first two sets of your workout, you're dripping with sweat. Like, I've not had a good workout yet. Like, I'm only two sets in. I'm just sweating because the temperature's up. You know, sweat, just like muscle pain and difficulty of the session, does not indicate a good session. It's it's, yes. it's inconsequential. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because a lot of people kind of, do worry that they're not getting, I guess, not getting their money's worth because they don't feel like they're crawling out of the gym every session? Yeah, but I think you have to, I think, this, well, first of all, what you've said about the sweat is fantastic because it really is very, very dependent on the temperature of the gym. You know, it's extremely dependent on that. Yeah. You could work out, you know, to, to make it more extreme, you could work out in Antarctica in shorts and T-shirt and not sweat. <laughs> or you can work out in the Sahara Desert doing exactly the same thing, sweating, right? Yeah. It's, it is what it is. Um, but sweat also, how, how hydrated are you? Are you dehydrated? Yeah. If you're dehydrated, chances are you're not going to sweat because your body's trying to retain that water. But, um, yeah, it is, it is an important, important factor to, uh, to consider. Yeah. So let's flip this on its head slightly, just thinking out the box a wee bit. There's a difference between the workout feeling too easy, but still mm-hmm. making progress, and you not pushing yourself hard enough in the training session to actually see progress. Mm-hmm. Right? So there has to be a minimum threshold where you are still working hard enough on maybe it's only five exercises you've got in your in your program, but you have to work hard enough on those five exercises in order to see progress. 
so how do you how do you cross that how do you describe that to a client how do you uh, can put that across, I guess, within the training program. Do you use a, a percentage of max? Do you use a RPE scale? How do you talk about that? Giving away all the secrets here today. Um, <laughs> basically, I wouldn't... There's, there's a couple of ways I would do it, depending on the individual, depending on their training history, and depending on their experience overall with in a gym setting or whatever. And 90% of the time, I base my training programs on RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion. Now, the scale is from 1 to 10, 10 being the most extreme. So in a lift, in a gym, it would probably over your one, like your one rep max, basically. Or you can make it even harder and say you can't even physically lift it off the floor. Like those are your two, that's your, that's your extreme. So when it comes to programming, I will, I will generally go along with, to begin with, you know, if it's a, again, it's all dependent, but if it's um, squat, deadlift, bench, I would generally aim for eight or a nine, depending mm -hmm. on the amount of reps and sets that I'm requiring the individual to do. But after that, most of the accessory work is seven or eight, um, or mostly seven. And there's an element of a burnout or a cluster set or whatever you choose to call it then, which is super easy. So that would be down to a six, but you're doing a lot of reps for it. So that would be, that would make it difficult and painful. But that's generally how I work it. When it comes to working percentages of their one rep max, I very, very rarely get clients to actually measure what the one rep max is um, unless I'm specifically with them and they have the safety measures in place because 99% of the population that I train don't ever need to know what their one rep max is. And you can kind of gauge it from a five rep max yeah. when you're doing sets of five, what their, um, what their one rep max, theoretical one rep max would be. So yeah, I don't actually get them specifically to do a, a one rep max as such. I'll base it on a percentage of the five rep max, which is far more safer. And they don't really know that it's five rep max. So yeah, we can kind of base it that way, but Ultimately, if a client's consistently putting in, you know, we used a very similar um, training app. And if they're putting in an RPE of, of this workout was only a five or six, then I'm going to ask, start asking questions. Why was it that if we're purely basing your workouts on RPE to begin with? Is it because you're not pushing yourself hard enough? Is it because you're not having the weight where it should be or you're do not doing it as effectively as you should be? And if the answer to that is uh, yes, 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 then you know, then it's up to me to then manipulate and change the program and change the sets to ensure it's harder for mm -hmm. them, but they're getting the benefit from it. If it's a triple no or no for one of them, then we address it and say, look, well, maybe do you think you could push yourself a little bit harder doing this exercise? And um, if the answer is yes from them, then, you know, I just keep it in as it is and try and get them to push to where they perceive uh, seven or an eight on the RP scale is because it is very subjective. Your eight is going to be completely different from my eight. Yeah, and it takes time to develop that awareness, doesn't it? Like somebody going in might think that they're pushing a 10. Like they're they're on a, a set of 10 dumbbell presses and they think that when they get to the 10th rep that they've struggled a little bit, that's a 10. Like they couldn't do any more, where actually they probably could squeeze out three or four more reps. Yeah. Um, and it takes a bit of time to develop that. Um, but yeah, I think it's the, the training app that we, we use, what the, the one thing that I think is a... a drawback to or uh, something that needs to be addressed maybe is the fact that when you get to the end of the workout you're trying to base the 
the hard the hardest of that whole workout on how you feel in that moment mm-hmm. you know it's, it's and what i try to encourage clients to do is is right on each exercise where was that on the rpe skill because quite often somebody will put in that it was a six and you know if i say like you sure it was a six like how did you feel on those deadlifts and like oh they, they were really really hard okay were, were, were they a six well no they were probably a nine and then the accessory stuff what was that rated on each individual exercise and then take the average of all of that it's probably completely different to the answer that they give in the moment yeah. um so yeah i guess yeah I'm, I, I work a similar very very similar way it's like you're pushing to where you've got maybe two reps left in the tank mm-hmm. um so you'd be an rp8 for most things um in the kind of mid to higher rep ranges um yeah. and that just takes a wee bit of time to to develop um, yeah sure it does yeah one of the tricks i use quite often and this is something that if anybody listening is not sure whether or not they should be putting the weight up um, and whether they're working hard enough there's there's two two things that i use um one is the rule of four so if you're working in sets of eight to 15 maybe if you feel like at the end of a set you could do four more reps or more you have to put the weight up because you're no longer working hard enough for the rep range that you're you're in um and the other one is if you're not really really not sure how many reps you could do just take the last set for a max rep attempt and it's amazing how many times someone's been like on a dumbbell press i definitely can't put the weight up definitely not got any more reps in the tank okay let's go for a max rep on the last one and they knock out 20 reps when they're aiming for 10 Uh, yeah i think it's probably time you could put the weight up now it's it's a useful tool and it's a great motivator as well because they realize that they're actually stronger than they think they are um, and that gives them a little little confidence boost and a little, little little push on. Yeah, I've I've had that exact same thing done to me when mm. uh, when I was had my last training there, last training coach, I guess. Um, I, I got stuck. I got stuck. It was a seated uh, chest incline chest press, mm-hmm. and um, I, was like, I just can't get past. I can't remember what the number was, but I just can't. I couldn't get past it. Yeah. So yeah. it was three sets of 12. And on the last set, on the fourth, he just chucked in a fourth set. On the fourth set, he said, like, right, do as many as you can. Give, give yourself two, three minutes and go. And yeah. then say it was like 16, 18. And then from there, we based it off the percentage overall of the volume lifted from mm-hmm. could I then increase it? And we increased it not by huge numbers, I think it was 1.25 for the next week and then two and a half for the following week. But yeah, I think overall that's um, it's, it's smart programming because it gives people, it always allows people to move forward. Yeah, You know, you break through those mental plateaus. If you're stuck at something for two, three weeks, ask yourself why, like what, what is it? You know, speak to your, speak to your coach and go, right, is there something I can do to, to push it forward? And the same goes with diets and same goes with calories and same goes with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also this block in people's minds that, you know, if if I'm asking them for sets of 10 to 12 reps and they push the weight up and they only hit eight reps, then they failed. Yeah. And it's like, that's not true because you still hit 80% of the bottom end of the range of asked for. So you can build on that. Like it might be three sets of eight, the first week you put the weight up 
next week it might be 998, then it's 1010 or 1210 or whatever. But you're slowly building the volume. Before you know it, two or three weeks later, you're hitting three sets of 10 to 12 reps, you know, and, and you've increased the weight successfully. Um, I think that is a is an issue for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, no, good stuff. I think, it, I think um, just just when you mentioned the the <clears throat> ten ten eight or the twelve twelve eight of the reps, and they and they the, people people still think that they're quote unquote failing because they're not doing the three sets of twelve that have been programmed in, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say let's say if it was three sets of eight to 12 reps and week one, they did eight, eight, eight. Cool. That's the minimum required. Next week to do nine, eight, eight. And they're like, okay, I'm still not, still not hundred percent. It's, you know, I can still push, but the, it slowly goes up and up. That's good because they can a see that the reps are going up. But if you take it to that next step, if you actually total the amount of volume they've lifted across that set, yeah, they can see that their numbers, their total volume of kilos lifted throughout that one set increases. So even though it might not be 12, 12, 12, it might be 999 or 10, 10, 10. Yeah. They're still massively increasing their overall volume, which is still progressive overload, which is obviously what you need to get stronger, to get leaner, etc. Yep. So that's another way of doing it. Total volume lifted per set and obviously total volume lifted per session too. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing how quickly those numbers can climb. Um, well, sometimes it's scary. Sometimes you just think, what, what have I eaten this morning until all of a sudden, you know, hit 10,000 kilos in a session and, you know, even just chucking that number, people might be like, whoa, that seems like loads. But, you know, if you're doing squats and deadlifts and, you know, you're having a heavy, um, heavy lifting day, it's... Yeah, it comes around pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes an average very quickly. Yeah. It comes an average very quickly of those numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's all about looking for little ways you can make progress and and try and build volume over over time. Cool. First to me after that. Right after that. That was deep. Yeah. Fried Enjoy. brain time <laughs> yeah lunch is coming up two tasty burgers sitting downstairs waiting for me oh stop it stop you're coming to get rid of a couple of listeners banana on a burger it's like pineapple on a pizza you just either either do or you don't yeah hot fruit is not paralyzed banana you should put um, you should put a hashtag for that. Hashtag banana on your burger. Yeah, <laughs> banana burger combo. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing for you. People are against pineapple on a pizza because it's fruit. Like I like banana on a pizza. Again, people are like, it's fruit. What are you doing? Tomatoes are fruit. Nobody ever complains about tomatoes on a pizza. Yeah, no, it's um, for me, it's not that. For me, it's not the fruit aspect. Um, for me, it's, it's just, I just don't like hot fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just don't like hot fruit. Like, <laughs> if, I, if I had pineapple pizza, it's not because it's fruit on a pizza, it's because the pineapple is hot on a pizza and I like the refreshing taste of the pineapple when it's cold. That's so all it a, is. You're not a 
pineapple on a barbecue type type of guy or a caramelized uh, banana type of person? Well, that's different. And I don't know why, though. I like a banana with, um, for example, when barbecue season rolls around, we can talk about barbecue meals, but um, one in particular is a banana basically split, wrapped in uh, tinfoil with a flake in the middle of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know that contradicts what I've just said about me not liking hot fruit, but I is it because it's hot. sweet and not yeah, savory? Maybe, maybe it's a double sweet rather than a sweet and a savory combo. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. Anyway, you've got all, all the good fitness chat on here today. <laughs> anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts of fruit on pizzas um, and burgers. So let us know. Um, cool. I think that's a place we should probably wrap this one up. Yeah, don't forget to tag us in your posts when you do. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, anything to add? Anything new happening with you? You've got, you started up some in-person stuff? I have indeed. Yep. Um, every every Monday, I'm um, coaching a select few individuals in Edinburgh, face to face again, which is which has been nice. Um, and I actually have three spots available for online coaching. And um, if anybody out there is interested in coaching with myself, um, but other than that, nothing, nothing, nothing crazy is going on with me right now. Just planning for the end of the year, planning for the start of 2022 and uh, yeah, trying to hit the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Right. That's all from us. Um, as always, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. I hope you've got some useful tips from that. Um, we'd love it if you could leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts, share it on social media, all of that good stuff. Um, and if you have any questions, the links are in the show notes. You can get in touch with us both for coaching inquiries and any questions or topics you want us to cover in the future. Have a great week. Uh, we'll wrap this up here and we'll be back next week. All right. Catch you later. See you later. Bye.